Before thee let my cry come near, O Lord, true to thy word, teach me before thee. We are thankful that you are able to join us today as Pastor Mark Robinette preaches another sermon at Foundation Church here in Mount Sterling, Ohio. If this message is an encouragement to you, and we pray that it will be, please consider taking the time to go to www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org and let us know. Thank you, and may the Lord richly bless you through His Word. Let my lips thy praise confess, yea, of thy word my tongue would sing, Greetings this Lord's Day in the name above all names, the name of Jesus. Greetings. God has been so very good to all of us. Can we say amen? Amen. He has blessed us many times over, and among all things that he has given us, we're going to be thinking about something that he has given us today that cost so very much. This great gift makes it possible for us to stand before a holy God. This great gift is forgiveness. Everybody say forgiveness. forgiveness. He's washed us in the crimson, from the crimson stains of our sin, and He has made us clean. This is such an amazing thing. So amazing, it should change the way we live every day and the way we treat other people, shouldn't it? Amen. Knowing that He's forgiven us, how should it make us feel? How should we treat others? What should we do? Psalm 103 leads us in this, in our call to worship today. David said, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. He forgiveth all thine iniquities. He heals all of our diseases. Who redeems thy life from destruction, and who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies who satisfies our mouths with good things so that thy youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord executeth righteousness and judgment for all that are oppressed. He made known his ways unto Moses and his acts unto the children of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and plenteous in mercy. He will not always chide, neither will he keep his anger forever. He hath not dealt with us according to our sins or rewarded us. How? According to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, as we say every week, and we'll say it again here in a few minutes. For as high as the heaven is above the earth, so great is his mercy toward those who fear him. And as far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. Verse 13 says, Like a father pities his children, so the Lord pities them that fear him, for he knows our frame. He remembers that we're dust. He knows what we are. Amen? As for man, he says, his days are as grass, as of a flower, a field. He will flourish, for the wind passes over it, and it's gone, and the place thereof shall know it no more. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting upon them that fear him and his righteousness unto 
their children's children. To such as keep his covenant and to those that remember his commandments to do them. The Lord hath prepared his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, ye angels, that excel in strength, that do his commands, hearkening unto the voice of his word. Bless ye the Lord, all ye hosts, ye ministers of his, that do his pleasure. Bless the Lord, all his works, in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. Amen. Let us pray. Lord God, you've called your people together once more. We gather longing to hear your voice, that you would speak to us and give us faith from the words that we hear. Lord, that we would be changed, Lord, and be more like you. Lord, forgive us of our sins as we gather here together and bring us into a place uh, of loving one another and forgiving one another. In Christ's name we pray. And all the church said, Amen. as I read my text for you for my sermon today from Matthew chapter 18 starting in verse 21 Matthew 18 verse 21 my sermon today is watch out for little ones and lead them in forgiveness Matthew 18 starting in verse 21 then came Peter to him and said Lord how oft shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him Till seven times? And Jesus said unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but seventy times seven. Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened to a certain king which would take account of his servants. And when he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him which owed him ten thousand talents. But for as much as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold and his wife, and his children, and all that he had, and payment to be made. And the servant fell down and said, Lord, have patience with me. I will pay thee all. Let us pray. <clears throat> Lord, speak to us from your word today. Lord, we long to hear you. Lord, our hearts are dark and sinful in so many ways, Lord, and deceitful. But Lord, give us new hearts today. Give us softened hearts of love for our brothers and sisters. Give us kindness and mercy where we have hardness and judgment. Lord, help us to be hard on our own sin, but easy on our brothers. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Now, I really like this text because I actually left out a verse. You guys want to hear the last verse I didn't read? Verse 27 says, 27 says Then the Lord of the servant was moved with compassion. And he loosed the man, and he forgave him his debt. Isn't that a better text? <laughs> yeah. 
I like it because that's how the story should end, right? When you hear a story and you hear a rough story like that, you sort of need for something good to happen. I don't know, Steve, when I, when I write my sermons, I think of you a lot. Uh, not, not in a bad way, like, you know, Steve really needs to learn how to forgive people, but, um, but I, I, I don't know, I guess maybe because we're buddies and we, we talk a lot, spends a lot of time together. You know, I can't imagine this text, and I, I really don't think any of you can either. And, and so literally I was talking to you, Steve, as I was in my, I was like, Steve, you know, could you imagine this? Could you imagine having, being in such financial trouble that you're, you had to, your, your children and your wife were sold into slavery and you were put in prison? I, can anyone even comprehend that? I know what it feels like to not be able to provide my family with the things I think they should have. I know what it's like to feel like I let them down or I feel like, you know, we're not going to make it and, you know, something bad's going to happen or whatever. But I don't know what this is like. I can't even comprehend it. Imagine if your ability, Lou, to provide financially for your family could cause Laura and your children to be imprisoned or sold into slavery and you put in prison. I, I, I can't even go there. It's kind of like... The rich man and Lazarus, right? We related more with the, with the rich man, right? Who fared sumptuously every day. And when I read this story, I don't relate to this man at all. And I think there's a problem in the fact that we don't relate to this man at all because I think we are blind to the place that we really are with God. Because if we understood our place with God like this... We might be a little bit more joyful about our salvation and a little less grumbly about our circumstances because the biggest uh, factor in our circumstances is that no matter how rough it is right here, when this is over, folks, we have inherited all things. That even though we're covered with the crimson stains of sin, we will stand before a holy God and He will not be judging us according to our sins. He will not be rewarding us according to our iniquities, but instead He's going to say, all of heaven is yours. Enter into a place where there'll be no more death. There'll be no more sickness. There'll be no more sorrow. And not only that, I'm going to forget all of the things that you did on earth that you wish every day that would be forgotten. They will never be remembered against you anymore. I hadn't really planned on getting this excited this soon. But I think that's the problem with our being able to relate to the story because we don't really feel so bad and we don't really understand. Folks, did you know we couldn't go to heaven, Jeff? We couldn't go. It isn't like God would go, you know, he did a pretty good job and you know what, I'm going to weigh the... He went to, you know, he went to church and he... He was faithful to this, and he was nice to people, and, and, and he wasn't as bad as some of those other people. I think we think it's like that. It's not like that. The deal is, is your story's already written. You cannot go to heaven. You couldn't be good enough to go to heaven. There's nothing that you can do. But God in His mercy, His great love wherewith He loved us, in that while we were yet sinners... 
He paid the debt that we could never pay. Wow. It's an extraordinary situation. Now, if you remember my last sermon on the life of Christ was called Watch Out for Little Ones, and it was from the same chapter in Matthew. And I'm bringing it up because I think it's got to be tied together for us to see what is being said here. I think sometimes we isolate scriptures and we use them for purposes, you know. Uh, this is the one we use when we're discouraged. Or this is the one we use, you know, when we're fighting temptation or whatever. And I think if we, if we take this and we put it right in what Christ was doing, I think that we're going to find a use for something in this chapter that I don't think that we really have ever seen before. And so that's what I'm going to bring to you today. We talked about God's call to us to be careful. Everybody say to be careful. To live a careful life. It's not always the things we do on purpose, but it is the carelessness with which we live that hurts other people. And if we remember what Jesus said, he said, offenses will come, but woe be unto them by who they come. And God was warning us that, that he loves us and we're his children, but if we hurt his children, we should be prepared for some serious problems. That I know you might be accidentally hurting them. You might be accidentally provoking them or tempting them or, or leading them into a place where they're going to be sinning. And you might not do that on purpose, but he says, no, no, no. You need to live a purposeful, careful life. You know, Luke, you're not to uh, take your boy there and you know that you're really going to tick him off. And you're frustrated with him and you just provoke him and provoke him and provoke him. The Bible says provoke not your children to wrath. The reason why that admonition is there is because in his wrath, what's he going to do? Is he going to honor his father? No. Is he going to do right? No, he's not. And who is that going to be on? It's going to be on you. And our sins are often on the hands of others. And this life of carelessness is not the life that we should be living. Offenses will come, but woe be unto them by whom they come. Whether they come by the enemies of God or even by his own people. Those who hurt God's children, really, all of those he calls his, God will not fail to deal harshly with those who do the hurting. This great care called for by God should goad us to great pains of care. We should take the strenuous effort in not causing others to sin and not hurting and offending others. We should be willing, as it says in the text, to cut off our hand. To pluck out our eye. I used to think that this was saying for us not to sin. That's not what he's saying. It's saying if you are hurting other people, if your hands are hurting other people, you should be willing to cut them off to stop that from happening. And that's, he said, because it's better to enter into heaven with only one hand. And I thought about, remember calling my sermon, entering into heaven with no hands. Because it didn't say you wouldn't go to heaven. It just said you might go there with no hands. Right? This was an admonition not for people on their way to hell, but on their way to heaven. So they're on their way to heaven. They, Steve, we may need to cut our hands off because we just can't quit hurting people. And of course, he's not wanting us to cut our hands off. He's saying, yeah, yeah. If, you, if you knew you had to cut your hand off, you're going to do that. I think you'd be a little more careful. Jesus used hyperbole quite a bit. The great care called by those of God's kingdom is a reminder that every one of those around us, our brothers and our sisters, are the children of a great king that we should treat with great care. Amen? 
Now, our text is part of the whole discourse that I just talked about, and I believe it is plain to see that forgiveness, everybody say forgiveness. Forgiveness, forgiveness of others is a big part of how to be careful, okay? And leading them in repentance is a big part of how to be careful. You know, when you are in the place of, when you have sinned against someone or someone has sinned against you, it really creates a very bad situation that if not resolved is going to lead to what? More, more sin. Okay? So let's look at how these go together and we'll put it together here, okay? Now if you remember Luke 17 and Mark chapter 9, they also record the same uh, the, the same group of passages. Mark 9, though, doesn't go on deeper to where we're going in Matthew 18, uh, but Luke 17 does, okay? So I'm going to read to you the part in Luke 17 that is, uh, that's parallel to what we're, we're going to be working on here in Matthew 18 for just a little bit. Luke 17, starting in verse 1, he said, Then said the disciples unto him, It is impossible... But that offenses will come, but woe be unto them through whom those offenses come. It were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and cast into the sea that he should hurt or offend one of these little ones. Take heed to yourselves. If your brother trespass against thee, rebuke him. And if he repent, forgive him. See how Luke ties those things all together? He talks about the millstone and he talks about hurting and he talks about offenses. And the very first thing he says is take heed to yourself. Okay, which this is how this is the, the, the phrase that connects us together. Take heed to yourselves is like, all right, we got to be careful. You know, here we are at the job site today and we're going to be doing so. This is dangerous. There's electricity. Objects can fall. Now, take heed to yourselves now. Here's what you do. You wear a hard hat. Here's what you do. We gotta have a clean job site, right? So that's how it would connect it here. So he's saying, offenses are gonna come, woe be under who they offense. He says, now take heed to yourself. So he's giving you the instructions on what to do. So Luke only covers this a little bit, but Matthew blows it up, and we're gonna go into all with Matthew. But he said, offenses will come now. Take heed to yourself. If your brother trespasses against thee, rebuke him. Everybody say, rebuke him. And if he repent, forgive him. All right. Now, those are pretty simple instructions. The careful life is a life where when people sin against us, we let them know. Everybody say, let them know. Okay, now it says rebuke here, and we'll get into the details of, of what this means. But it is a rebuke, you know, when I, when I, like a rebuke is like this. J Jason is walking by, and he, and he steps on my foot. He's climbing over there. Hey! Okay, ow! Okay, now this rebuke is intended to let him know what he's done. People don't always know when they hurt you. Okay, rebuke doesn't mean, you terrible man, what's wrong with you? I mean, seriously, could you lose a little weight? I mean, when you stand on my foot, you know, it really hurts. I mean, if you were a little scared, you know, you can sit down. <laughs> rebuke is get their attention and let them know. Okay, it doesn't mean to be mean. It doesn't mean to judge their motives. It doesn't mean to go crazy. But it does mean if you don't let people know, Derek, they don't know. How many of you hurt people physically that you didn't know? And later on you're like, oh, I, I didn't know. Sorry about that. How many have hurt people emotionally or even in friendships the same way? You don't even know. I mean, Dad, this happened to you a million times. You know, someone's hurt, they're offended, they're mad. And six months later you find out about it. And, and they've been mad and holding a grudge. And all along, why? Oh, I still have their calm. You know, right? You know, like, oh, you stole that from me. And, 
You know, and you're like, what? You know, something dumb, right? Has this happened over and over, Andy, as elders? What would you say, how many times this happened since we've been working together? Over and over and over. And people are hurt. People are offended. And they never tell you. The careful life is when somebody hurts you, tell them about it. Let them know. Okay? And when they're telling you they're sorry and they ask for forgiveness, this is the other simple instructions. What are we supposed to do? Forgive them. We can, we can just shut the book right now. Tell them, right? And when they repent, forgive them. We're done, right? Folks, it's not, people don't do it. That's, what, that's the problem. It's like, you know what? I know what to do to not have this horrible thing happen. Yeah, but no one does it. Well, all the horrors and the pains and the church divisions and the problems and the offenses, they don't do it. So here we go. He says in this next verse, and if he trespasses against thee, see how Luke is tying this all together and see how this goes with Luke 18. And if your brother trespasses against him, Seven times in a day. I mean, you know what? We have some rough church people, but seven times in a day, these people must have been really bad, right? Turn again and say, if he turns again and says, hey, I'm sorry, please forgive me, then what are we going to do? Everybody say, forgive him. So sometimes Jesus has to get the rubber down the road. Like he's like, you know, he said to do it. To do it. Well, he didn't say seven times a day. Huh. Well, he just said seven times a day. So I think we're covered. I don't know that anybody other than, well, I would say my wife, but she's never done that. I know I probably seven times a day sin against her for sure. She hardly ever does anything wrong. But me, I'm pretty, I'm pretty bad. And you know what the apostle said to that? Benita, you, this is pretty funny. Because... When you read the Bible, if you read it like real people are literally living it, you will, you'll catch what's going on. So the apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. <laughs> what, what are they saying, Luke? They're like saying, have mercy. Seven, seven times a day? I mean, you just said, I mean, here we are with guys we're living with. We're going everywhere together, and you just let them know that they can sin against me seven times a day, and they've got to forgive me. I mean, Lord, and could you increase our faith? Because I, this is this—I don't know that I can deal with this. This is what, that's what they're saying. Lord, increase our faith. I mean, we—you know—we like to think this is like you know he was glowing and they were wearing the robe, and he, Lord, increase our faith. That's not what was going on. They were like, Lord, how is that possible? How, we can't do that. It's bad enough when he sins against me once every six months. Seven times a day. All right, wow. Everybody say, wow. All right. What Jesus taught them here and what he calls us to is great care. Everybody say, great care. No wonder the apostles responded the way they did. So if you're listening to me right now, really listening, you might say the same thing. Pastor Robinette, what in the world did you just say? Seven times a day? It's pretty hard. Now, if we look at Matthew 18 and we start from the beginning uh, or from the beginning of this discourse, we, we did the beginning last week. Okay, I'm going to back up a little bit from where we started and I'm going to start in verse 15. 
Now see how this ties in. Matthew 8.15, Jesus had just explained how valuable God's little ones were, how protective over them he is, and what great care we should take. And next he says this in verse 15. Moreover, if your brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. Okay, so Luke gave us a little bit that says if he sins, even if he sins a lot, let him know. And if he uh, asks forgiveness, forgive him, right? But now Matthew gives us even more of this discourse than we got in Luke. So let's learn what we have here. So Luke, at, or Luke doesn't include this, but Matthew does. And I think we can learn from it. He says, go to him and him alone. Everybody say, go to him and him alone. Amen. All right. He says, if, you, if he hears you, thou hast gained thy brother, okay? If your brother trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. And if he hears you, you've gained your brother, right? Now, Matthew 18, though, is, is known in, 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 in our circles. A lot of people exercise this in churches, and it becomes kind of a... Uh, a manual on how to straighten out really bad people in your church, okay? And how to legally and rightfully kick out the bad people in your church. That's what Matthew 18, they're like, well, and we, and we applied Matthew 18. What they means is they went through the biblical process of kicking somebody out of your church because that's really what happens at the end of this. I don't think that's what Jesus was doing here. I think we can use it for that. I think taking his example and learning from it is good, but I'm going to be focusing on something different here, okay? So, let's hear it again, thinking about how it applies to great care. Everybody say, great care. Moreover, if your brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. The great care we take is we protect our brother by going to him alone, okay? This is the careful way, the loving way, the way that we should live with one another is that when we sin against other, we should take great care not to tell other people. And, you know, whether it be, you know, to tattle, you know, we actually don't like it. And, you know, you may have a different rule in your house, but when our kids come and tattle on each other, generally the person coming and tattled gets a whooping too. I don't know. I'm not saying this. Jesus said to whoop your kids when they tattle on other kids. Uh, but a lot of times they do because you know what happens? They come, Jeff, and they go... My brother kicked me, and he needs to be in trouble, Dad. You know, and I'm like, all right, okay, go get him. And so he comes, he goes, well, yeah, Dad, I did kick him, but after he punched me in the face. And I'm like, oh, did you punch him in the face? Yeah, I punched him in the face. So, okay, so you're telling me that you want me to whip him for kicking you, and now I got to whip you for punching him in the face. They're like, oh. You know, and so, but they never remember this. They always forget. They're always bringing to me the kid to kick them, and the other kid is always getting whipped. But they never learn to not tattle. And what I try to encourage my kids to do: when your brother punches you in the face, you need to go to him and him alone. You know, now they're little and they're they're learning this, okay? But the deal is, is what happens when someone goes and tells the sin that you've done to them, and they tell it to somebody else? How does that make you feel? Can that make you feel unloved? Can it make you feel like the problem's even worse? Can it make you feel disrespected? A, a million things. This leads to so much difficulty, problem, and sin 
in relationships. How many have ever had this situation, you know, you did something, you hurt somebody, and they found out you told them, you, they told you I did that? Has anybody ever heard that statement come out of anybody's mouth? They told you that I said that to you? I said that about you? Or they told you that, that and like now, now it's, it's, now you're like, well, you don't even know where, you don't even know to be more mad that they told than that you did it and they didn't tell you. You don't even know, now it's just complicated, Right? It should never be our first approach to tattle or even to go to ask someone, you know, out of great concern for Brother Jacob. I'm very concerned about your brother Samuel because, you know, blah, blah, blah. Now, we go to him and we tell him because you're like, it's my brother. You just... Why don't you talk to him? That's what you should say. When people come to you and tell you about how the people in the church or in their family sin against them, you should say, you know, you should, have, you, have you talked to them? And if they say no, say, you know, I did not hear anything you just said. You need to leave me and get on the phone or go in person and talk to them. That's what you should be doing. Okay? Never should be our first approach to talk to other people, to get advice or whatever. That's what we want to do. We start... This careful life by protecting our relationship with this person. We start by respecting them, giving them the opportunity to explain, to repent. How many people have you know, gone to someone only to find out the thing that you heard about wasn't really anything at all? That really, you just misunderstood it completely. I've, I've had this happen over and over. By the time someone, you know, six months later, after being heard about something, decides to come and tell me, and then I go, oh... You didn't know that my car broke down that day? And somehow you didn't hear that? And they're like, your car broke down? I didn't know. And then all of a sudden they're like, and so what they got to live with is for six months they've been mad at you. And if they had known your car broke down, you know? When we know the facts behind the thing, oftentimes the thing that's bothering us so much really wouldn't bother us at all. Right? It's not what people do. It's why we think they do it. You didn't include me on this because you don't like me. Or, or you, you do this because of this. It's never what they do. You know, I've said this a bunch of times, and I'll say it again because the example is so good. When my mother-in-law was picking out a frame for her son who had died in an accident, people were, you know, kind of pushing her around and cutting in front of her in line. And she, this thought came in her mind. She's like, I bet you they would treat me different if they knew why I was here. I bet you, you know, wouldn't, wouldn't you, you know, the mother has lost her second son in, in how many months and she's going through all this. Would you push her out of the way because you were in a hurry because you wanted to get Starbucks before you went back to work? Or would you be like, oh man, please, right? If we knew what was going on, but we never give people the opportunity to explain, we just, we judge the, the situation, how we think we see it, rather than giving the person the opportunity to explain. This is not careful living. Everybody say, take care. take care. When we don't talk to people, when we don't go to them and them alone, when you go to them alone, you may find there was nothing ever to be mad about in the beginning with. So now, now you feel stupid that you went and told sister so-and-so and brother so-and-so and this person because really you're dumb because you were wrong about the whole thing. And so now what happens is then people are proud and then they're embarrassed and then they start lying. I'm, I've seen this over and over and over again. 
And the problem was never the problem. The problem is, is that you didn't take care to love your brother enough to go to him and him alone when you think he's done something to hurt you. We need to restore and repair our communication and our relationship with the person at all costs. When someone does you wrong or think that you have, you're in a precarious, both of you are, a dangerous place. We're talking about care. It's dangerous. It's like having exposed wires at a job site. It's like having a hole in the floor that someone can fall through. When you live your life and your habit is not, oh, well, I, you know, I don't like confrontation. Well, you don't like it, but your lack of confrontation, your lack of coming out and letting people know is creating a dangerous situation in the church and in your relationship. And so what do we do? Everybody say, go to them and go to them alone. Be careful when you think someone or when you know someone has sinned against you. Be careful. The first thing that ought to come to mind is, okay, I need to be careful. I need to be careful what I think about this. I need to be careful what I do about this. And the careful approach is go and try to clarify it. Okay? Verse 15. Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between him and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. You know, the careful approach has great rewards, and it really simplifies life a lot. You know? But, everybody say but. Verse 16, but if he won't hear you, all right? Now, a lot of times we go through this procedure because it's like we're already at the end. We, we want to make, did I, did I cross all my, you know, did I go to him alone? And then I brought two people. And now, okay, I went through everything. This, this is not what this is for. Only. Everybody say only. only. You don't have to say only. Only. Just only. If he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more that in the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. Now, if you look at this in a legal way, like, you know, imagine, Tim, I've got a problem and I've tried to talk to you about it. And next thing you know, I show up, you know, with the two as heavy hitters in the whole church and, you know, and we're doing an intervention on you. I, I don't think you're going to like that, right? I don't think that's what's going on. It's like, well, I brought, I brought witnesses here. Uh, before we have this conversation, I got some witnesses here. I mean, you're already feeling like you're in court, right? And you're done. You know, you're like, oh, whoa, whoa, wait, wait, wait. You know, I, you have the right to remain silent. Uh, anything you say can or, you know, may be used against you in the court of the church, right? I really think that what's happening here is that if I got a problem with Tim and Tim and I are at odds and I've been trying to work it out with Tim and he won't listen to me, I should think of him and I should think, who does Tim love and trust and feel the most safe with? Who loves Tim as much as I do or more than, and I need to go and go, I didn't want to talk to you about this. I have gone to him about this and I'm wrestling over it. I don't even like that. This whole thing is making me uncomfortable, but, but I know that Tim is, he's hurt. I think he's going to be bitter against me. And I just, man, I just don't want this. Could, could you come with me? And at least if you're there, I can share my heart and he can, you know, whatever. And they're going to provide some wisdom and some love. This is the careful approach. This is not the legal approach, okay? And when we look at it like the legal approach, guess what we'll probably get? What kind of results we're going to get? You know, they're like, wait a minute. Did I just go through phase one of the Matthew 18 process just now? Am I now at DEFCON 2? Is the next thing you know, I'm going to be hauled out of the church in handcuffs like, oh no, like, whoa, 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 I better start documenting right now, you know. 
It's what people, Presbyterians, and I know we're not typical Presbyterians, but they become very litigious. And they look at everything like this in some legal process. Jesus wasn't explaining how to build the court. He was explaining how to be careful with people and how to love them and lead them in forgiveness. We know this because of what we read. This next step is difficult, but it is necessary. It is worth the risk. Okay, You might feel like you're tattling or escalating the situation, but if you do this right, it can yield powerful fruit as well. Remember, we don't do things because of what we think or we know will happen, right? Like, it's hard enough to go to someone. I mean, Heath, can you imagine? Now you got to get two other brothers and come and talk to me. Like, or, You're like, I, I ain't doing that, right? That's our tendency. But that's the same tendency I have that doesn't have me wear glasses when I'm weed eating. Ah, it'll be all right, you know? You know? Right, Tim's going to be great, right? Tim has a magnet in his eye that collects everything that flies through the air. So you, it's over and over, right? Ah, what's the big deal? You know what? I'm not wearing a helmet, you know? Ah, it's hot outside. That stupid behavior, and I do it in my life. I'm an idiot, okay? But if you do it in the kingdom of God, Jesus is teaching us the hard hats and the safety glasses, and he's, he's teaching us how not to hurt other people and hurt our, get ourselves hurt. And we're like, ah, oh, well, come on, you know. Well, if I do that, the hat's just going to keep falling off, you know. If Heath comes and gets the other two, well, Mark's going to think, he, I think, you know, he's, I'm better than he is, or he's better than me, or he's going to think I'm out to get it. And we play in our mind all the reasons not to do what the Bible says to do. If you have a dialogue in your mind telling you why not to do what the Bible says to do, that dialogue is not the Holy Spirit. Just, just trust me. Well, uh, the Lord led me to not obey this passage of Scripture because... No, no. That was you and your fear and the devil and, or whatever trying to get you not to do what Jesus said to do. Okay? God's Word. When we obey God's Word, okay, go to your brother. If you go to your brother ready to forgive him and he doesn't want your forgiveness, he's not willing to repent, you must take someone else. In situations... Uh, they will get better or they're going to get worse. And that's, that's kind of how this goes. You know, you go, you try, you do your best. If they don't repent, God will deal with them. It says in 1 Corinthians eleven thirty one, if we judge ourselves, we will not be judged. Could you imagine if it were that way, like the traffic court, you know, if you judge yourself, you won't be judged. Well, how do you do that? Slow down. How do you do that? You know what? I shouldn't be doing that. You know, the law says don't text and drive. You know, if you, if you judge yourself and you go, all right, I need someone to take my phone. I've got problems. I'm going to answer that text, please. And this has happened since I said I wasn't going to text anymore. In our car, like, the, bang. And I'm like, I'm like, please, someone take this away from me right now. Like, why? Why? I'm cutting my hand off. Why? I don't want to go to, I don't want to hurt anybody. But I'm thinking, oh, it's going to be okay. I'll just go ahead and read this one. <laughs> Kill somebody on the road. Carelessness. And that's what's going on right here. Okay? If we don't judge ourselves, God will judge us. It says in 1 Corinthians eleven thirty-one, And it also says, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, and he will exalt us. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So he wants us to repent so people can lead us in repentance 
right? But if they come in a proud way to confront us and they do it wrong, it tempts us to respond wrong. I mean, Tim, you know, we're making comments back there about the bathroom and whatever. Like, we, that could turn into an argument. You know what? Go take your kid out of the car. Whip him in the car. Quit tying up the bathroom. Did little tiny things that we do hurt each other? You know, you might have been, you know, you're like, I've whipped him for 20 times on the same thing. You're frustrated. You know, I'm trying to be a good dad here, you know. And so these things, we, we should humble ourselves before people. And when we don't, when, if we're mean to each other, like, you know, if I'm like, blah, blah, blah to you, what, what are you tempted to do? You're tempted to be angry at me or to be bitter against me or whatever. My uncareful behavior of being mean or uh, being too direct and not being gentle, that is what causes many people to sin. That's the carelessness I'm, I believe the Bible's teaching us about here. In the final words of James chapter 5, it says, He that converts a sinner from his error, and if you read this in its context, he's basically talking about a this is not like uh, you know something to put on your wall, you know, like like uh, you know, hallelujah and amen, all right? This is a this is practical instructions. If you can help somebody that is in an error and in a sin, okay. You shall save a soul from death and hide a multitude of sins. I mean, it sounds like a poem, right? Because it's King James English. But what he's saying is, is that when, if I can get Christina to truly repent and turn around, what I've done is I've done a great deal of good. I've helped her from the errors of her way, and I have saved her from the judgment of God that's going to come if she's bitter. Because what does bitterness do? The Bible says bitterness is like a, it's like a cancer. It'll eat you up inside. So what am I doing? I'm saving her from death and from judgment and difficulty when I go to them and I plead with them and I'm gentle about how I do it. This, like I said, it's not the legalese on how to, all right, Christina's a bad egg. What do we got to do? Well, I already went to her once. And then, you know, there were a couple people around last time I talked to her. Yeah, let's throw her under the bus and get kick her out of this church. You, there are people whose minds work that way. But Jesus is basically saying, go slowly, go softly, go alone. Take people they care about. Do your best. Try to turn their hearts around because if you can turn their hearts around, you're going to be doing them a world of good. Sin leads to judgment. Sometimes the judgment is death. Reading in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, it's kind of difficult to read. Hey, you know, when you're taking communion, watch out. There are people taking it the wrong way. People doing it with bad things in their heart toward their brothers. And when they're doing this, they're becoming sick. Some of them are even dying. It's in 1 Corinthians 11. Where does judgment begin? See, God is perfecting us. We are the light. We're the city set upon a hill that can't be hid. When the world is bitter and nasty and to each other, it's different than when we do. We are saying this is the way Christians are. This is the way Christ's people are. What are they? They're mean and they're unforgiving and they're litigious. So when we do it, God can't let it be. God can't let his church be filled with people like that. And so what does he do? He deals with them. Our goal is not to go through the process the right way to cover ourselves when things get bad. Our goal is to save them from death and judgment that will come in their lives if they continue to sin. We were reading in our psalm that it says, God will not always chide 
And we know that's, that's King James. What he's saying is God is not always going to hold back judgment. God is not always going to let it slide. Right now, people are getting by. But God's judgment doesn't always chide. It's not always going to just be held off. Watch out. Everybody say, watch out for little ones. His children that do the good work of calling people to repentance and bringing them to forgiveness. This should be our goal, our aim. It should be the prize before our eyes. Verse 17, and if he shall neglect to hear them, tell it to the church. And if he neglects to hear the church, let him be unto thee as a heathen and a publican. You see, this is literally the last resort. And it's not a bad option, but it's not the first one. You get that? People living in sin, the first option isn't to get them out. It's to, it's to turn them around. It's to help them. It's to restore them. It's to love them. And there's a whole process. It sounds like bring one, bring two or three. Bring them to the church. Do your best. Keep working at it. But it's also a loving and careful option as well. Sometimes the best thing we can do is bring someone to the church for discipline. It's never, never pleasant, but sometimes it must be done. This is what we must do when people refuse to repent. Perhaps by doing this, this last resort, they will see the error of their way. You know, there are people, and it doesn't happen oftentimes when people get to that point. It's, it's you know, it's kind of like academic. They're on their way out or whatever anyway, and you're just kind of wanting to make sure they don't come back if they don't straighten up. I don't think that's, that's the main focus of what this is about. Verse 18, Verily I say unto you, whatsoever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say unto you that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst of them. Christ is explaining to us that the way that we behave ourselves... We need to understand that it is in the context of his kingdom, that he's the king and we're in the kingdom and the things we do are not just done between us as people, but they're done as subjects of the kingdom. And this is how God wants us to behave ourselves. And it ends with this and, and uh, we'll see how, how much longer I can go before I miss my flight. Verse 21, Peter came and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him till seven times? Jesus said, and this is, a, this, this is, this is you know, I read this from Luke and <coughs> Matthew adds even more here. Until seven times, no, until 70 times seven. So you can see what subject are they still on? They're still on forgiveness. They're still on offenses, just like in Luke. And then Jesus says, therefore. So all of this happened, all of this discussion happened, and then he lays out a story that when we hear it, we should relate to it. Okay? Therefore, but say therefore. The kingdom of heaven is likened unto a certain king. Who do you think this king is, guys? Yeah. He would take account of his servants, and when he had begun to reckon, he was brought unto him, which owed him 10,000 talents. 
Who do we owe more than anyone? But for as much as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold and his wife and his children and all that he had in payment to be made. And the servant therefore fell down and worshipped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me and I will pay thee all. Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion and loosed him and forgave him the debt. And you know, I wish that this narrative ended right here, but it doesn't. I'm going to read a little bit more. That same servant went out and he found one of his fellow servants which owed him a hundred pence. 10,000 talents and a hundred pence are like a million dollars and five bucks are about the difference here. This, this is a huge disparaging amount. You know, there's a, there's a huge disparity between a hundred pence and a, you know, 10,000 talents. A talent and a pence, the two, it's like a penny, you know, I don't know the exact, but it's, it's huge, okay? And the servant laid his hands on the man, and he took him by the throat. I mean, can you picture this? He had been forgiven of 10,000 talents, and his wife and his children and himself were loosed from prison. And he goes and finds a man that owed him nothing and grabs him by the throat and say, pay me what you owe me. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet. You'd think it would have reminded him when he fell down on his feet, don't you think? He fell down at his feet and he said, have patience with me. I will pay thee. What should come next, right? And he would not. But he went and he cast the man in prison till he should obey the debt. Now when his fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry. And they came and told their Lord all that was done. Then this Lord, after he had called him, said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt because you desired me to do it. Should not you have had compassion on your fellow servant even as I had pity on you? And his Lord was wroth and he delivered him to the tormentors till he should pay all that was due to him. Steve, the man that got out, that got freed, that got his wife and his children, the way the story ends is he's back in jail. I know this is a real sobering way to end it, but it's how Jesus ended it. Verse 35, so likewise my heavenly Father will do to you if from your hearts you forgive not everyone his brother their trespasses. That's what Matthew 18 is about. It's not about how you get the guy out. It's about you. It's about me. It's about how we treat others. It's about what we hold over them. It's about how God has forgiven us and done all this for us, but yet it doesn't even affect us. So when they owe us any little thing, when they hurt us any little bit, we're ready to get them by the throat and throw them in the jail of our unforgiveness. And that's what we do. 
And you might go, I don't do that. I don't think it would be in here if it wasn't the fact that this is our temptation and that we do it. We lock people in the prison of our unforgiveness constantly, all the while expecting God to throw our sins in the sea of forgetfulness. How many want to not be like that guy and want to be like the guy that says, you know what? I want people to say of me, Mark's mercies are new every morning. I want people to say of me that Mark is compassionate and he's gracious and that he's slow to anger and that he's abounding in loving kindness. This should put the mirror on our lives and our relationships, how we treat our children, our wives, the people around us, the people in our churches. Would be to God if we could see what God has done for us, as it says, as our brother Andy read for us from Ephesians 4. He ends the chapter with these words. He says, And be ye kind, tender hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. May it always be in our mind the forgiveness that we have received. And may, would people fall down at our feet, may we remember that we fell down at the feet of our Savior. And that He forgave us so much more than they could ever do to us. Let us pray. Lord, it's such a great gift that You've given us to forgive and to be able to do it. Lord, that we could lose people. Lord, that we would not be so ready to bind them, Lord. But we could loose them from their sins by leading them softly to repentance. That we could loose them from the prison of our unforgiveness and let them be in our favor. And not treat them like we've done them such a great favor they should appreciate it. But that we would treat them with the great kindness and mercy that you have us. For you've not just kept us from hell, but you've given us heaven. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Hello, this is Pastor Mark Robinette of Foundation Church. Thank you for taking the opportunity to listen to our audio sermons. We would love to hear from you if you have any comments, questions, or just to let us know how they served you. Go to our website, www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org, and send us a note. Thank you, and it's a pleasure to serve you.